Hello and welcome to the Nutrition Uncovered podcast. I'm Lisa, registered associate nutritionist, author, and a PhD student. The aim of this podcast is to provide you with evidence-based nutrition and health information, support you on your journey towards better health and better relationship with food and your body. If you need support with nutrition and health coaching, details are in the show notes. Here is this episode. Hello and welcome to this week's Nutrition Uncovered podcast episode. Today we're going to be talking about food guilt, a very, very common phenomenon and problem uh, of many of my clients and of many people who are trying to work on their nutrition, on their eating behavior, but they encounter this challenging problem of feeling guilty around food. Today I'm going to give you about six tips on how to stop food guilt. And also in this episode, you will understand hopefully a little bit more about why you are experiencing guilt around food, particularly guilt around things like uh, chocolate and crisps and all our favorite processed foods that we maybe label as bad or unhealthy. And equally, when we eat those foods, we might have this crippling feeling of guilt. So food guilt is unfortunately very common in our society. Uh, And I personally also uh, understand and and I have experienced food guilt. Knowing why this could be happening and what to do with this is really, really important. And these are the things that I would also uh, give to my clients. So you're very welcome uh, to get this almost insight into one-to-one coaching and how we can work through food guilt. Food guilt can lead to disordered eating habits and uh, this can be damaging both to your physical and to your mental health. And as a result, you might be unable to fully experience your life and to fully enjoy your food and to socialize and to be around those quote-unquote kind of triggering foods and also, you know, experiencing food guilt can prevent you from appreciating your food and it's it's very often uh, food guilt arises in a situation when we do eat all of those amazing foods that, okay, maybe they're not very balanced and very nutritious foods, but, you know, these are usually with the foods that we we like, we really like them. So, Uh, The first uh, way uh, to stop feeling guilty around food is to accept the fact that there is no place for food guilt in a balanced diet and in your life. And this might sound like a very, you know, radical statement, you know, just accept that there is no place for food guilt. But I do really mean that because let's look at this through a different lens. What are the things that we should feel guilty about? These are the things that are usually kind of breaking the law or doing something really, really bad or being unethical. So some kind of generally accepted negative actions can trigger uh, guilt in general. And when we talk about food, realistically, the situations when it is valid to feel food guilt or guilty about food is when you steal the food or when you do something really, really bad and you negatively affect maybe even other people regarding food. 
And the thing is, yes, of course, food is fuel for your body. And we know that. But food is not just physical fuel to your body. Food plays a massive role in our social lives, in our traditions, in our culture, in our family traditions. So many celebrations and uh, gatherings, you know, positive emotions and negative emotions, things like, you know, even funerals are often accompanied with food. And so from a very early age, we learn that food is associated with uh, emotions, with different emotions, with both positive quote-unquote emotions and with both quote-unquote negative emotions. And the thing is, food is really meant to give us pleasure. But here's the thing, not every meal will serve you as fuel in terms of will give you those nutrients. So not every meal, not every food is there for us just to get this physical nourishment. And sometimes a meal or a snack or a dessert is there for pure pleasure. It's not there for nutrition. Let's be honest. When it's a birthday party and you've had a, a two-course dinner already or even a three-course dinner and then you also have a cake, by the time you have a cake, what are the chances that you are physically hungry? Probably very, very little. And that's okay. But that doesn't mean that you wouldn't want to have some of the cake, right? And this is a good example of when some foods are not there for physical nourishment and for fuel and for vitamins and minerals and carbs, fats, and protein. Now, different foods have different nutritional value, of course. We know that broccoli or kale has more minerals or vitamins and minerals than, let's say, a donut. Okay, a donut will have more carbs and, and fats. But that doesn't mean that broccoli has more moral value than a donut. When we glorify broccoli and label donut as bad, so good, bad, evil, we're more likely to lose control when we do encounter that donut or the chocolate or any other food that you find yourself feeling guilty around. So I had a conversation with my client yesterday and for her, pizza was trigger, triggering quite a lot of guilt. And that's typically also because we're labeling these foods as bad. Oh no, I shouldn't eat it. This is really bad. This is really processed. And the problem is as well, these days we are bombarded with demonization of processed foods. Now that's a whole episode on its own. But the thing is, not all processed foods are, are, are even unhealthy. You know, processing is anything from chopping to cooking to stewing to blendering. And I don't know if it's a word, blendering, blending. Mm, and not everything processed is bad. Anyway, I'm digressing a little bit. So first thing I wanted to note and to pay attention to is what are the thing what are the foods you are dividing into different categories do you have in your head categories of bad and good this i can have this i shouldn't have do you have this dichotomous mm, thinking and division of foods into one category being bad, I shouldn't eat this, and another category being good, yes, I should eat it, I can eat it, I should eat it every day. If you have this strict division, 
that is a problem on its own. And what I would like you to do is to try to challenge that. Okay, why do I really think that this food is quote-unquote bad? What is so bad in this food? And then try to consciously see what are the quote-unquote good things about this bad food. For example, uh, also uh, I was discussing uh, this with my clients yesterday about pizza. So what could be good about pizza, Uh, even nutritionally, you know, Pizza actually can be very quite a balanced meal. You know, pizza for, is different from pizza. It depends on the on the thickness of the crust, what toppings do you use, etc. But realistically, every pizza has flour, for example, and flour is also very often demonized. But do you know that in many countries, flour is fortified with some minerals and vitamins? For example, in the UK, flour is fortified with B vitamins and iron. Sometimes flour can also contain some fiber. Some types of flour will have more fiber. Other types will have less fiber. But the truth is, there is some nutrition even in um, some of these processed ingredients of foods like pizza and flour. So really try to challenge that narrative of, okay, this is good and this is bad. The next thing I would like uh, to mention here is... In order to stop food guilt, it is important to recognize when and why you experienced guilt around food. Bring your awareness to the situation. Start noticing when you feel guilty about food. You can even keep a a little note uh, in your phone or um, on your desktop or just a pen and paper and just jot down whenever you notice that you are experiencing this unpleasant feelings and and guilt and maybe even shame around food. The feeling of guilt might happen when you have eaten due to emotions. So, for example, common emotions that people associate with food are things like sadness, loneliness, anger, boredom. But it could also be some positive emotions, you know, things like excitement and happiness. And these quote-unquote positive emotions can also trigger kind of the desire to eat more food than maybe is necessary, maybe you need. And procrastination or eating while distracted are also common factors. And this might also happen when some external things happen that influence you and your food choices. So, for example, you have a dinner party and, let's say, guests bring a cake. And let's say you didn't expect them to bring this cake or this cupcakes or chocolate or whatever. And this sort of external influence can influence your food choices, right? And you feel like you have to eat it. So some of these unpredictable situations or events can also trigger food guilt, especially when you eat something that you really didn't plan. You know, I remember back in the day when I was really struggling with my relationship with food, I would very often experience food guilt at social gatherings when I wouldn't have a lot of control in terms of my food choices and I would have to to eat the foods that were there at the at the event and for me it was well okay I need to eat something because I don't want to be hungry and hangry but equally these are not the most optimal food choices for me for example there wouldn't be enough protein for me or vegetables or kind of uh, it wouldn't be a balanced meal. 
and I would need to eat more kind of processed foods. And again, like logically, I realize, okay, I need to eat something, but then equally, because it wasn't my full control and my choice, I was in the situation where I had to eat something that I didn't plan and that could trigger feelings of uh, guilt after eating those foods. So it is very important to build this awareness on when and how in which situations you experience guilt around food. Because awareness is always the first step towards change. The next thing I would like you to know is that um, food guilt often happens because of food rules. And think about this, which food rules are really uh, ingrained in your life? And food rules could be things like, uh, I can't eat after 8 p.m. Or I can only have carbohydrates in the morning. And I cannot have carbs in the evening. Or I can only have one slice of bread rather than two slices of bread. Or I can only eat chocolates on the weekend. Or I can only eat popcorn in the cinema. Or I can only eat pizza on a Saturday. So there are all sorts of possible food rules and people's food rules can be quite similar in some ways, but also sometimes people have quite unique food rules. And sometimes it could be strict portion sizes or it could be, uh, you know, there are some, some quite silly food rules like, oh, you should not drink water or any liquid when you eat. This is a very silly, like, I can't call it differently, food rule, uh, because it, it, it's just, yeah, anyway, it's, it's unreasonable. A lot of these food rules are unreasonable, and some of them are a little bit more kind of, okay, that makes sense, because there is a little bit maybe of evidence indicating, but then usually these food rules are very rigid, they're very, um, yeah, they're very inflexible. Uh, and they often, you know, we know that rigidity in the diet is correlated with disordered eating behaviors, with unhealthy relation with food, and and even potentially eating disorders. So there is a little exercise that you can do. You can write down what food rules do you have. You might not remember all of them because not all of them are, you know, you kind of, you cognitively can describe. Some of them are not very obvious to you, especially if you have been following these food rules for a very long time. And ask yourself, how does this food rule serve me? For example, if you have a food rule, I cannot have any snack after dinner. Well, how does that help you? Does it help you to have a peaceful and balanced relationship with food? And look, Realistically, if you have a specific food rule, then it probably has worked for you in some beneficial way. And I understand that. But think about what is the potentially negative impact of this rule on your life. Generally, all rigid rules, and rules by definition are quite rigid, they long-term can lead to unhealthy relationship with food. And you know, there is a difference between having a rule versus having a principle or having a even non-negotiable. Rules are very rigid. They don't allow you the choice. They don't allow you to kind of change, change it. Whereas things like 
principles of healthy eating or principles of your diet, of healthy diet, or some of the non-negotiables of your diet, are often, they're more flexible and they feel like a choice and they feel like an empowered choice. And usually these sort of principles, they are more aligned with your overall values, your core uh, life values, rather than as rules, they're usually very rigid and they almost feel like you don't have control or you don't have choice. And they just feel like something really must and should. I should do this. I shouldn't eat this. I must have this for dinner or I can never have this. So uh, rules are usually more radical. And if we tell ourselves that chocolate is bad for us and we should avoid it, what happens is it this kind of thinking puts chocolate on a pedestal and thus we want it more. Often what happens is instead of having and enjoying, you know, one or two squares of chocolate with your coffee or your tea or something, you end up losing control and eating the whole bar of chocolate. And you might think that, well, this is the problem. I cannot trust myself around chocolate. I cannot, um, I cannot have it in the house. But the problem is probably not this. The problem is that you have a very black and white relationship with chocolate and you label it as something bad. And also if you believe that sugar is addictive or that chocolate is addictive, even more reason to feel like you won't be able to control yourself. And speaking of food addiction or chocolate or sugar addiction, I have a whole episode about it. I'm going to link it in this, uh, in the show notes. So please go and listen. But to tell you, uh, in short, uh, the concept of food addiction is not proven. It's not yet um, really well researched. And so far, all the research on quote-unquote food addiction is in rodents, uh, in mice. And we know that we can't just directly extrapolate the research for, on animals, mice, onto humans, because we are very different in terms of our uh, social life and yeah, we're, we're a lot more complex than rodents. Let's put it like that. And so, yeah, if you if you end up having some chocolate, a little bit of chocolate, but then you lose control and then you overindulge and then what happens? You feel guilty or you feel ashamed that you broke this rule, that you can't control yourself, that you have no willpower and all of this negative self-talk really takes over. And that is not good. That is not healthy. When we remove food rules and take the food off pedestal, it kind of loses this power over us. Almost helps to not feel out of control around this food. And as a consequence, the guilt stops. You might be thinking, well, if I really remove these rules and I allow myself to have chocolate, I will be just constantly overeating. Now, this doesn't happen long-term. What I mean by that is, when people start working on their relationship with food, making peace with food, they can go through this period where they overeat for some time, which is actually quite normal, especially if you have had a lot of restrictions for many, many years or even decades in your life. You might be experiencing some overeating, which is normal. But over time, what happens is that when you learn how to eat mindfully, how to eat in moderation, how to really allow yourself to enjoy these foods, the overeating goes away. Now, it is a process, it is a journey. I'm not saying that it's super quick and easy. It is not. And from my experience, working with clients on this, it does happen over time. The 
Overeating reduces, food guilt reduces, but you do need to go into this uncomfortable territory of removing those food rules. And if you want support in, in this journey, then uh, let me know. I will leave the application form for coaching in the show notes. And it is definitely something you can work through. And trust me, it is. it makes your life so much less stressful around food. You can finally enjoy yourself more you don't judge yourself and you realize that yeah i don't i don't want to necessarily overeat on chocolate every time i allow myself chocolate it's really wonderful actually so challenge your food rules first make yourself aware of your food rules even write them down and then challenge them why do i have this food rule where did it come from how does it serve me maybe it doesn't serve me maybe it served me in the past but doesn't serve me anymore do i want to keep this relationship with this food for the rest of my life? Or do I want to have a little bit more relaxed and moderate and peaceful relationship with food or with particular foods? And by letting go of food rules, your food guilt would gradually go away. The fourth uh, way to stop uh, food guilt is giving yourself permission to eat. Uh, this is a, one of the m- most important principles of intuitive eating paradigm and it is called unconditional permission to eat having unconditional permission to eat means having permission to eat all foods regardless of what time of the year it is and what time of the day it is or what time or what day of the week it is for example going back to food rules having something like ice cream or pizza is only a weekend thing Now, this is not an unconditional permission to eat because you have conditions on when you can allow yourself certain foods, i.e. you only allow yourself pizza on a weekend, right? And the opposite of that would be having a permission to choose to have pizza when you feel you really want it or you need it or you know, it kind of fits with your day. So for example, it could be allowing yourself to have pizza on a Tuesday evening when, you know, you come home late, there is no dinner, everyone is hungry and you decide to order pizza. That is okay. There shouldn't be very rigid rules on when and how much you can eat of certain foods. And I know it can sound like, well, are you really saying that I now should be eating pizza on a Tuesday. No, I'm not saying that. Unconditional permission to eat doesn't mean that you literally order pizza whenever you just think about having pizza. Or you wake up in the morning and you feel, well, I want to have a box of donuts and you just order uh, or go and buy a box of donuts. That is not what I mean. And this is not unconditional permission to eat. Your choices, your food choices are still aligned with your goals, your health goals, your values. So if I wake up in the morning and I just think about donut, it doesn't mean that I will instantly order it. No, I can, I will still need to make choices that are based on how I want to feel that day. Is it really going to be nourishing for me? Is it really fitting with my routine today? Because, you know, having a box of donuts in the morning doesn't necessarily help my productivity, etc. So you still do this cognitive evaluation, but you have a choice. You have an opportunity to allow yourself to choose that food. But that doesn't mean that you always follow that first thought and first craving. 
Okay, so this is really, really important. People often mm, get uh, this principle wrong in the wrong way. As if you, uh, as if we suddenly stop honoring our nutrition and our health, right? With giving yourself permission to eat, you are removing shame and guilt and rules about when you eat. For example, let's say you decided to have a dessert. Allow yourself the joy and pleasure from the dessert, whether it's what we call the food for the soul. Uh, it brings a lot of positivity to your experience. The next way, the next tip of how to stop food guilt is slowing down. Slowing down when you eat and also before you eat. Doing a few deep breaths before meal really helps to get uh, more present with food and it helps to be more checked in with your food and it helps you to understand a little bit more your hunger, how do you feel, um, on the, let's say on a scale from 1 to 10, how is your hunger, 10 is absolutely ravenous, 1 is very pretty much not hungry at all. And checking in with your hunger fullness, your physical sensations in your body, any emotions and any thoughts you're having in the moment just before eating can be really helpful in reducing the food guilt. Because it also helps you to eat mindfully and to kind of observe your emotions and your thoughts. And you will be able to see what your body needs and wants. And that way, when you are eating according to how your body feels, you can become aware of which external sources are influencing your food choices. When you're taking the, this pause and slowing down, you ask yourself why you're eating. Is it boredom? Is it stress? Am I physically hungry? And then the last point I want to make here, the last, the sixth way of working with food guilt, through food guilt, is self-compassion. Self-compassion is something that I talk uh, a lot with my clients. I think I've talked a couple of times on this podcast. Self-compassion is a crucial skill. And whenever whatever changes you're making in your health journey, in terms of food, in terms of exercise, especially, especially when you try to break some habits and build new habits, self-compassion is so, so important. Because self-compassion helps you to realize that if things are not going to plan, if you do, if you have slip-ups, if you have mistakes, or even quote-unquote failures, even though failures are very kind of harsh, I think, uh, term, especially when we're talking about um, changing habits, because it is normal to have some slip-ups and calling them failures almost brings more uh, kind of shame and guilt. I don't know, maybe it's just me. But um, yeah, self-compassion is super important. And when your food and eating doesn't go to plan, it can be frustrating, right? If you're working on overeating and sometimes it does happen that you still overeat, it is important to be kind to yourself. So self-compassion is about being mindful, being kind, and also being um, non-judgmental towards this, this process. And there is a very important uh, part of self-compassion called common humanity, which is uh, the understanding that you are making mistakes and you are not alone. Millions and billions of people in the world can be experiencing the same thing. And not everything is under your control, especially if you're someone who likes to have everything um, under control. Inevitably, there will be situations when you cannot control your food. The practice of compassionate curiosity allows to break the cycle of guilt when something does not go according to plan. 
Also, uh, people who have perfectionist tendencies are even more prone to food guilt. And that's also related to the fact that with perfectionism, we almost don't allow ourselves to make mistakes. We almost, we want to every, for everything to be perfect and great from the beginning. It's like there is no room for this learning journey. There is no room for, for mistakes or slip-ups. But you, we really cannot learn without making some mistakes, including learning to eat intuitively and mindfully and, and really learning learning healthy eating. Healthy eating is a skill. It's not just uh, you know some something that someone can do effortlessly. It is something that can be learned. And so in a situation when something did, doesn't go to plan, instead of negative self-blame, ask yourself, okay, why did this happen? What was the trigger? How was I feeling? Was I more vulnerable to things not going to plan with my food? And vulnerability could be things like lack of sleep, stress, um, moving countries, you know, moving houses. <clears throat> when I was moving house, I I also felt how this change in the environment and circumstances can make you more vulnerable to make a little bit less rational decisions and more rushed decisions, etc. And so if possible, ask yourself, how could I have done things differently next time if this very similar thing happens? How can I prevent it from happening again? Again, that doesn't mean that you hold yourself to a standard that this should never happen again. I will do all my best. I will create even more food rules to make sure this doesn't happen again. No, no, no. This will happen again. But it's very important how you react to these setbacks. Choosing to learn from experience is so important. And this is where you really develop a growth mindset. You almost invite mistakes. You think, okay, great. What sort of mistakes am I going to make today? And, you know, I'm saying this and it's not easy. <clears throat> it's easier said than done. I know, I know. And I'm constantly reminding myself that it is okay to make mistakes. And to sort of normalize mistakes, what I do is I, I choose to, to do things imperfectly, imperfect action. It's better to do something than nothing. I consciously try to not do things perfectly. You know, and it could be in small things like, well, mm, I don't know, making a bed and making sure it's not perfect bed. Or if I'm doing a plank and it's a one-minute plank, I would be like, okay, I'm going to do a 57 seconds to make sure I'm, I'm breaking this perfectionism. And <clears throat> uh, I used to do more of this back in the day uh, when I was a little bit more kind of more actively working on my food relationship and, and on, on my all or nothing thinking. Now it's it's more easy. Now it's I don't feel this need to challenge this because it is, uh, well, I feel like I'm, I have a lot less um, perfectionism in me. I don't know whether it ever goes away, but I think it is the act of challenging it is that that's what, what's the most important. And being aware uh, when when you have this um, perfectionism thoughts and behaviors. And ask yourself this important question, what can I learn from this experience? And I often do this with my clients when we do check-ins. What is the lesson you learned this week? And if there was some challenging situation with food, okay, let's just not talk about how, what, what went bad or what went good, but what can we learn from this experience? What lesson can we take away so that next time we can maybe do something different? 
And this is how we really uh, learn and grow and improve our relationship with food. And remember, being harsh to yourself won't help with long-term healthy relationship with food. Being harsh, self-critical, judgmental, blaming. By reflecting with compassion and getting curious, you are able to look ahead to the future and plan for success. That's it for today. I hope it was helpful. If it was, please make sure you rate and subscribe to the podcast. If you need personal support with your nutrition, your habits, your um, healthy behaviors, then fill in the application form in the show notes and I will get back to you as soon as possible. Bye!